Okay, we are continuing upon the, the chronological life of Jesus. We are in Luke, Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 17. Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 17. And he had just chosen the twelve apostles. It says in verse 17, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, those who were troubled with unclean spirits, who were being cured, and among all the people were trying to t- uh, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. So you see, it says that Jesus came down and he stood on a level place. This is important because he's going to start the Sermon on the Mount. And we learn in Matthew that there was a mountainside, so he went up on a hill, but there was a level plateau. On this plateau, the scriptures tell us the crowds of people and where they were from. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Tyre, and Sidon. So from even outside, in Tyre and Sidon, so even the Gentiles were coming. Lots of people were there. They were getting healed. If they had unclean spirits, they were being cured. And they were just trying to touch him for power was from him, was coming out from him, and, and healing, and he was healing them all. So this was this just tremendous power was being poured forth from him in this time. And remember, this noting city upon city upon city, where all the different cities were this is not done when people are making artificial things. I don't know if you've ever read a book where there's lots of names that you have to learn. Very difficult to follow that book. And so often in the beginning of the book, they say, this person is... A, is a, and, and Because it's hard to keep track. Once you get above, beyond three or four names, that's it. If you name city after city. But the scriptures docu- document lots of names and lots of, scripture, uh, lots of cities. And they can go back to these cities and check. If this were a fabrication, they would never give this level of detail. Because people then could go back and check and see that it's falsified. But here he names all the cities. And then he starts in on the Beatitudes. But but let's look in Matthew chapter 5. Because Matthew talks about the same thing. These are mentioned in Matthew. And in fact, we'll spend more time in Matthew. Because Matthew documents more of this. And Luke talks about some of it. But Matthew documents more of this. Well, why would Matthew document more of this? Because it has to do with a contrast between the way the Pharisees taught about the commandments versus what Jesus was speaking about the commandments. And because Matthew, the book of the Gospel according to Matthew, was written to the Jew, this is more relevant to a Jewish mindset. You will see that Matthew often talks about the kingdom of heaven, and the other Gospels will mention the kingdom of God. And they, they are the same types of verses, but Matthew says kingdom of heaven... The other Gospels, Kingdom of God, and that's because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Jews don't write the word God, because it's, it's, you know, what do you do with this piece of paper now that has the name God on it? So, even when I'm writing to Orthodox Jewish friends, I will write G-D. And that, that is their, you, you know, a way of writing God, and they don't have to feel as if they're denigrating the name of God to even write it. They don't even like to speak it. So he says, kingdom of heaven. Or they will insert a word as a substitute for God. And this is why Matthew, it's the same thing. Other Gospels say, kingdom of God. Matthew's writing to the Jew. He says, kingdom of heaven. This is what you would do with a Jew today. You would do the same sort of thing. So, 
This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you see in verse chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So remember, in Luke it says there was a level place. So there was obviously a plateau and a hillside. In fact, you can go today to Israel near the Sea of Galilee, and you can see the place where they believe the Sermon on, of the, uh, on the Mount was delivered. And you see a plateau and you see the hillside going up which would make sense that Jesus is going to move up onto a hill so he can direct the speech downward, but he sits down to teach them. Again, remember we spoke about this. This is the typical rabbinic position. Rabbis sit down in order to teach, unlike evangelical preachers who stand up to preach. The rabbi sits down to teach, and that's exactly what Jesus would do. He would sit down and he would begin to speak. Now, this Sermon on the Mount, it's an interesting name. It's not a bad name for it. It just tells where it took place, but it doesn't tell you anything of the content. Now, what does this Sermon on the Mount tell us as a unit, as a whole? There are many things in the Sermon on the Mount that we can extract for our own lives. There are things that are underscored by the apostles and the epistles that are teaching us. Many things that we can extract from this. But as a whole... What was the Sermon on the Mount? Remember we have the Law of Moses, which is 613 commandments. That was the Law of Moses. And this is what they were obliged to follow. Jesus himself followed this. The 613 commandments. Many of those commandments revolve around the temple. And, and, but the temple was present then. And Jesus fulfilled all of these 613. But remember the Pharisees were following another rule, which was the... the um, what they said were the oral commandments, which they said had been passed down from Moses. But to this they added many, many, many things. You will see in this that Jesus is often making reference to their, their oral commandments and contrasting with them. Because you will see throughout this, and we will see that again and again, he says, you have heard it said. So, uh, for, for example, um, uh, in verse... In verse um, Let's see, so for example, in verse 27 of Matthew uh, uh, 5, it says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And he goes on. In verse 31, you have heard it said. In verse 38, you have heard it, it was said. In verse 43, you have heard that it was said. And so on. In any other passage where he is speaking from the Scriptures, he says, it is written. Remember how he told Satan, it, it is written. It is written. He was referring to the written Word of God. Here, he is addressing, in those passages, specifically what they had taken and they modified through their oral commandments, where Jesus said that the, 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 the commandments of men have made the word of God of no effect. The other thing, as a unit, Jesus is, is addressing certain things. Now, what, we have the Law of Moses. Well, what did the prophets teach? So you have the Law of Moses, the first five books, and then you have the Psalms, which are the Psalms, and you have the Prophets. The prophets spoke not of the individual commandments so much, but they spoke of the heart, that righteousness comes by the attitude of the heart. And this you will see in the book of Psalms, for example, in the songs and the prophets. You will see the prophets were constantly speaking about the heart. Moses spoke about, These are, this is what you have to follow, and the prophets were underscoring the heart effect. Now, in Israel, even today, they put far more emphasis on the first five books, the books of Moses. Those are read in the synagogue every day, and they complete that in a year. Not so with the prophets, not so with the songs. So, so you, you see that Jesus is now, in this portion, he is addressing the righteousness 
that should come in following the law. Meaning that it is not just doing the, 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 the actual act, it is the heart attitude behind this act. So, what this is not, as a unit, as a whole, remember, there are treasures, there are truths here that are underscored in the epistles that we can take out and, and, and that are certainly applicable today. But as a whole, what this is not, Jesus is, is not making this as, as Christian ethics for our day. This is not Christian ethics for our day. Nor is this a list of things we have to follow in order to be saved, because then it would be salvation by works even if we could do all of these things. Remember it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it is not by works that you have been saved, lest any man should boast. It is by grace, not by works that you have been saved, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not by something that we can do. So this is not a list of things that we have to do in order to be saved. Nor is it Christian ethics for our day. Well, how do we know it's not Christian ethics for our day? Because if it were... Christian ethics for our day, then we would be obliged to follow the commandments of the law. And the reason I say this is, if you look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For I truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 18, he talks about the law. The law of Moses. In verse 19, he says, not a single thing is going to be stricken from this until all is fulfilled. Heaven and earth will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. Jesus will fulfill all these in his lifetime. But they are still under the law until his death and resurrection. That's when they are freed from the law. At this point, they're still under the law. He says, if you go teaching that you're not under the law, you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven until all is fulfilled. Until all is fulfilled. That's exactly what he says. He says, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law, in verse 18, until all is accomplished. Remember, on the cross, he says, it is finished. He accomplished this. At this point, they're still under the law. He says, you want to you make this Christian ethics for today? Live by the 613 commandments. For all of you guys that shaved this morning, you have violated the law of Moses. You are not to shave your beard. You could cut your beard, and it had to be cut in a certain way, but you were not to shave it. If you don't have long locks that remain uncut, if you go to Israel, you see the, the, the Orthodox Jews today, they have long locks of hair that have come down. They were not to cut the locks of their hair. So you can't pick and choose, well, I'll obey this one and not that one. Even the smallest bit of the law, if it's not fulfilled, it is a violation. You can't pick and choose and say, well, I just want the Ten Commandments. You can't do it. You've got to choose them all. So, so he says, not even the smallest letter. There's this little thing called a yod, which is sort of like the dot on our letter I. He says, even that will not be done away with until all is fulfilled. So you can't just say, well, you know, that this is the civil law, this is this law. You can't. The whole thing, it's the body of the law. Nothing will be done away until all is fulfilled and Jesus fulfilled it. Then he says in verse 20 of, of Matthew chapter 5, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness surpasses. So with this one verse, with this one verse, 
he goes ahead and, and he, he, he shows a contradistinction between what he is speaking and what the Pharisees are teaching. He is saying that what the Pharisees are doing is not going to get them in. It ha- you have to exceed the righteousness. Well, how do you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Your heart. Your heart is what is going to deal with this issue. Here you see Jesus is coming and he's teaching that, remember he taught that you have to be born again. You have to believe in his Messiahship. He wants your heart. It is not just obeying these rules. What the Pharisees were teaching is all of Israel has a portion in the kingdom to come. You're a Jew, you're getting in. That's what they were teaching. That is what is still taught today. But those who obey the law will be in positions of authority in the kingdom to come. So you'd be a Pharisee, obey all these laws, you'll be in a position of authority, but all Jews have a portion in the kingdom to come. It was a broad way. Jesus was speaking a narrow way. Belief in Him and His Messiahship. This is what He was speaking about. So this, as a unit, is not Christian ethics for our day. As a unit, it was where the righteousness of the law should take an individual. What this should do with individuals in that time, living under the law, where the righteousness should take them, which far exceeds where the Pharisees are. However, remember I said there are individual things that we can certainly take out and live by, which are underscored by the, by the apostles in their teaching, and then they come, become for us the commandments of Christ for us. But as a unit, this was a teaching for that time. He's not calling us back under the law. In fact, sometimes Messianic Jewish groups will quote this verse and say, where it says, not the smallest letter or stroke of the law shall pass away. They will quote that and try to bring Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Christ, back under the law based on this verse. But do you see that he says, until all is fulfilled? And he fulfilled it. You see, so, so this has been used by many different groups to try to get people in under, under what, what they want to do. But you can't pick and choose here. Now, Jesus is now going to get at the heart. And you're going to see that he's going to list things that get now at our heart. I had this same conversation with, with uh, um, Jews in Israel. So, so uh, we have these discussions. They hear I'm a Messianic Jew and I'm a scientist. And I'm speaking with this other scientist. And they think, oh, this would be a great conversation. So we're driving in a car someplace. And we have this conversation. They say, you know, you, you become a Christian like this, you have it easy. You can do whatever you want, you're forgiven. I said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. Actually, the bar is raised much higher by Jesus because he speaks about our heart. For example, he says, it is not those who just commit the act of adultery who are guilty of adultery. It is the man who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery with her already. He said, you mean if you just look with, it, with, with, with lust for her, you've committed adultery? I said, that's right. I am guilty of adultery, according to the commandments of Jesus, when I look at a woman with lust in my heart. He says, this is impossible. Nobody can live like that. So you see what I mean? Jesus has raised the bar. You look at the commandments of Jesus, they were always raised. Because even today it is taught in Israel, you're good to go. You can look all you want, just don't touch. But no, Jesus gets at the heart. The heart is what he's dealing with, and that's what we're going to see in this portion, where you're going to get at the heart. So this is the Messiah's interpretation of the true righteousness of the law in contradistinction to the, to the Pharisees' interpretation of the righteousness of the law. The distinction is, is, is the, the external conformity 
and righteous, as righteousness only, or do you want external conformity and a heart change? This is what Jesus is getting at. Okay, so, so again, this is not a constitution to bring us back under the law, uh, nor is it Christian ethics for this day. So let's start looking at, 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 at some of these different uh, characteristics. And what you'll find is, Jesus starts with the characteristics of the things that, that put us in right relationship with God, and then he moves into things that put us in right relationship with other people. Right relationship with God, he starts out with, and then right relationship with other people. Um, and then, uh, when, when he opens up, you know, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are this, but this word blessed, some, some Bibles translate this happy. In fact, it is more happy than blessed. So, so uh, um, happy are those. You, you, you may know, sometimes I tell you, if you do this, you will have a happy life. If you do this, you, it will make your life much better. Remember how I teach you this? This is exactly what Jesus is saying. You want to have a happy life? This is what you need to begin to do. These will bring happiness into your life. So if you look in, in uh, verse 2 of Matthew chapter 5, He opened His mouth and He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, for example, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the opposite of pride. This is seeing ourselves rightly when we contrast ourselves to God. So that we don't look at this situation and think, wow, God was pretty lucky when he got me. No, that we see ourselves in right perspective with God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for saving me a sinner. Blessed are the poor in spirit who have a right view of themselves spiritually. Verse 4. Blessed are, or happy are those who mourn, for they shall be com- comforted. Happy are those who mourn concerning their sin. Who mourn that, that when we sin, that it hurts me. You know, I said something the other day, and then I thought about that. I thought, that really was not a good thing to say, and it hurts me. And I say, Father, forgive me. Why should this happen? Why not just blow it off? Oh, well, you know... You always say stuff you, you, you wish you didn't. No, this should hurt us. The Holy Spirit is operating in our lives when we say things we ought not, when we do things that we ought not to do, that this should hurt us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or happier are those. Uh, uh, blessed are the gentle, in verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. The, this thing of gentle or meek. This is a quiet confidence and submission to God. Quietly have, have this submission to God. Blessed are they. In other words, they're going to have a happy life. Verse 6. Happier, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This internal righteousness. This, my heart. I want my heart right. Father, I want my heart right. If you yearn for that, you will have a happy life. Father, I want my heart to be right with yours. I want to do the right thing. I want to have the right attitude toward this person. I want to have the right attitude toward ministry. Yes, it is one thing to do it out of an act of service. But Lord, let me have the right heart. Father, would you give me love for these people that you are having me work with? Give me love for them. You know, often I pray before I go into a lecture, Lord, and and I'm talking about a lecture even in the university, Lord, let them see love in my eyes. Let them see love love in me, that it would really surprise them because of the love of Christ. 
And sometimes I can look out over an audience where I'm about to deliver some chemistry lecture when I'm out on the circuit giving seminars. And I'm just saying, Father, give me love for them. And it's amazing. You, know, you just start looking at individuals and it's as if this love starts coming. You know, I, I can remember even saying, Lord, I'm going to go... I was in this, this coffee shop in Starbucks in the airport and I remember going and I said, Father... Give me love for this lady who's working behind the counter and may she see it in my eyes. And I remember looking at her and she was just, just stopped. I mean, something happened. It immediately caught her eyes. You ask God to fill you with love for others and He will. And then they sense that and they said, they said, say, something is different. Something is different with this individual. They see something different in them. It is different than when anybody just gets up and lectures. You have a big meeting, you have a job interview, pray, Lord, give me love for this individual and let them see the love of Christ in me. Go figure. God answers prayer. I mean, just, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. It happens. It happens. You can just capture people's hearts in this way. So, uh, um, Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So now what happens is, is he's turning this, and this is now relation to man. So he started out relation to God. Now he's turning to relation to man. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you are merciful, you will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. We'll pick that up again in just a little bit. Then he says... uh, um, In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, or happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see what I mean? Boom! Right to your heart. If your heart is right, you will be happy. You will be happy. It is not merely the external conformity. Lord, I want my heart to be right. That's why, as as Doug was sharing just a little while ago, he he said... um, uh, he read the verse from, from uh, uh, Corinthians where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, rather than money and put it in the thing. You know, God, God loves a cheerful giver. I would feel as if I were robbing God if I didn't give to the body of Christ. The body of Christ has poured their lives into my family. The body of Christ has given places for my children to plug into. Given them places for them to minister. Given places for me to be able to minister. I mean, I owe so much to the body of Christ. When we have had tragedy in my family, the body of Christ was there. When Shireen was ill and she couldn't get out of bed, the body of Christ was there cooking meals. The body of Christ. I'll tell you, if anything happens to us, we will have people flooding our home, bringing things and gifts and things for us and, 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 and food for us. And comfort for us. Why? Because it's the body of Christ will come to us. Blessed are the pure in heart. You have a right heart attitude. You will be happy. This is what Jesus is saying. Happy are the pure in heart. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You make peace. One who, you you know, you, you can hear people start speaking and getting angry and getting angry and you, if you bring in a word of peace and say, just calm down, it's going to be alright. You know, in the context of the whole world and all the economic problems, this little thing you're talking about is really nothing. Let's get past it. You can just speak in a very simple word. Blessed are the peacemakers. Or somebody does something to you and you're like, 
I'll never speak to them again. No, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Let it go. Let it go. You know, or that guy honked his horn at me. I'll get him. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's all these feelings. And it just, you know, just starts, starts revving up. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're happy. You know, I was speaking with one young lady who's, she, she's a lot like me. You know, she's type A and all, all wound up. And her husband is so calm, so calm. And, and she says, you know, when they're driving, if somebody honks at them, she gets really angry. And her husband's like, would you just calm down? It's nothing. It's really nothing. You know, he is a much happier individual than she is. Because it says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are those who just bring peace. He's just totally content. And you know, she just gets just all wound up about this. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the type of thing that he's talking about. Then he said, blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And actually, now he takes it, he says, happy are you when you have been persecuted because of your righteous attitude. Wow! He says, if you are persecuted for your righteous attitude, you're actually going to end up happier. You may end up hurt, but in the end, you're going to end up happier. And then he extends it beyond just this. Then he extends that. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he extends that. He said, you know, formerly, if you had obeyed this law and you walked according to righteousness, people would make fun of you. And often they do. I mean, they make fun of you if you want to walk righteously. If you want to walk righteously according to the law today. I'll give you an example. If you want to keep only legal downloads on your iPhone or on your iPad, or on your... If you want to keep only legal stuff on there, and you share with your friends, no, I, I don't want that music, I haven't paid for it, they will make fun of you. They will make fun of you. If you want to obey the law, they will make fun of you. Colleagues have made fun of me that I don't put multiple, you, you, you know, put versions of software on multiple computers. Now that software is smart and all computers talk to each other, there was a day that Computers didn't talk to each other. And I used to buy a separate set of software for every computer, and my colleagues laughed at me. You will be mocked if you want to do what is right. That's what Jesus is saying to them. But then he extends it now. He says, now you're going to be mocked if you do things. If it, it, you're going to be mocked because of me. And when you are, you're going to be even happier. If people mock you because of me, you'll be even happier. This is what he says. Now, your feelings may be hurt, but in the end, you're walking with him. And it will bring happiness. He says, this is exactly what they used to do to the prophets who went before you. To be mocked because of the name of Jesus is not at all unusual. And colleagues will say things and colleagues will whisper things. And, and uh, there's, there are positions that I have not gotten and opportunities that I have not gotten because of my faith because of my belief in the Bible, because of my standing with Jesus Christ. And if I had just kept my mouth shut and never voiced anything about Jesus, I would have gotten some other opportunities. But in the end, God takes care of me. I have nothing to be ashamed of. God has taken care of me. And in the end, I will surpass all of these people that have meant me harm. 
that have, have, have mocked and meant me harm. I will surpass them. That I know. Because God, who controls heaven and earth, has said this. He says, Blessed are you when men insult you, when they persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. Now, I, I don't know that I've actually ever been persecuted. You know, I've never been beaten. I've never been thrown out of my home. I've been insulted. But it's very simple little things. I mean, it, it's just kindergarten for what I've gone through. He says, you are blessed. Maybe if I had been persecuted, I would be a happier person now. But I've, I've just never been persecuted. I don't know how to bring that. I guess I could bring it upon myself by going to certain regions of the world. And, but um, he says, rejoice and be glad. This is exactly what they did to the prophets. If you want to have a happy life, this is what he says. Now, again, I'm not teaching this as a unit as Christian ethics because I don't want to bring you back under the law. But principles, we can certainly extract from this and we see these same sort of things underscored in his other teachings and, and by the, the, the apostles. So, for example, Peter talks about how blessed we are in persecution. Paul talks about the same thing. Through many tribulations, you enter the kingdom of God. Peter talks about in, in 1 Peter how we are blessed when we undergo these trials. So these are then underscored. Then that comes to us as ethics, Christian ethics for us today. We will follow on this theme for the next several weeks. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word that you see us through. Father, thank you for the truth of the word of God. Father, thank you for all your mercies, the truth of the word of God and all you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would have happy lives, that their hearts would get right, that just as Jesus said, that their hearts would be right with God and right with with people around them. And in that, that they would have happy lives. Father, protect them. Lord, I pray for these young men and young women that they would have good marriages, happy marriages to the right people. The blessings of God be there, I pray. The blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen.